I'm really excited to be here. Um, I was, uh, Jen and I have been talking about uh, just how cool of an opportunity it is to be back in this setting in this way and how blessed we are by the last year. Um, the last year not being um, in the local ministry of Parker Ford, not, um, not leading, not preaching week in and week out, um, you know, it's great that that has afforded us the opportunity to do what the Lord has called us to do. Um, and he's affirmed that over and over and over again in so many different ways. I could spend the rest of the morning talking about the phenomenal ways we've seen the affirmation of the Lord. Um, but uh, what's been more exciting for me throughout this past year is to watch that same affirmation when it comes to the Martins being here. And uh, to be able to watch uh, how awesome it is to have... Uh, DJ um, and and Julie, who we've known and been connected with for a long time, but had no idea that they were going to be here. And then to just watch that whole thing develop, you know, it's amazing um, how the Lord designs things. And you never know how the Lord's going to work everything out. I, I, at least I don't. Maybe you do, but I don't. Sorry, this is popping a lot here. I'm going to try to pull it back. Okay. Um, and um, so anyway... Uh, DJ this morning, DJ and I, man. Okay. Is that better? Okay. Wonderful. Um, so DJ and I were just talking this morning and he was saying, you know, excited to have you coming home. And I was like, well, it's a a lot cooler to come home when you have another brother who's there with you too, you know? And so it's just really neat that the way the Lord has done that over the last year. The reason I say all that is for a couple of reasons. One, just to share our heart, but also um, I want to share some things that we've experienced. I, I have no idea right now. I say I have no idea. I, I've preached at 20 uh, some churches this year. Um, so m- many, many, ch- I think it's like 28 churches this year or something like that. Um, and so it's just been all over. And w- experiencing that and being connected with pastors, you learn a lot about what's happening in the the wider church when you get the exposure, of course. And then there's kingdom principles that you try to remember when you're in a local setting, but when you're seeing the same principles happen in all of these different places, you're like, there's threads of what God's doing. And I want to share a couple of those things before we get started this morning. And um, one of those is the idea of honor. Um, When we honor one another in the body of Christ, it's amazing what happens. The camaraderie and the love and the fellowship of Christ and the way it flows through his church when people honor one another. When people dishonor one another in the church, it, it changes the whole atmosphere and things don't flow well. You know, and one of the places that it's really important for us to honor is for us to honor leaders who God has blessed us with. That's a a biblical principle that's all throughout the scriptures. And I don't know if you know, but this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, I would encourage you, and I know as a church, I think there's people who are thinking through that from a a church side of things. But as individuals, um, there's leaders, spiritual leaders, elders, pastors who are in your life who serve to help lead you further to Christ. And what happens, not just for them, it's incredibly encouraging. I mean, I get to see pastors all the time who are isolated, who are not seen or cared for, really, who are kind of laboring all the time but aren't, get, aren't being respected. But then I also see pastors who it's a very different way, where the congregation, there's a really great kind of mutual honor relationship and all of that. And in the places where honor is being given, 
it changes the whole game when it comes to the church. The whole picture, the whole culture of the church is different. So I just want to encourage you that this is Pastor Appreciation Month. It's not a biblical thing. You know, it's not an unbiblical thing, but it's not written in the scripture. That's just a reminder for us that, you know, when leaders are given to us, it's really important to honor them. And that's a principle that we're given that helps put our hearts in the right place, that encourages our leaders so that they can do, continue to do good stuff. So I just encourage you to be creative. Think of ways to creatively say thank you, okay? It's, it, it's, and that's not just for the pastor or for the elder. That's for the health of the body, and it's for the glory of Christ. It's one of the ways that we say thank you to Christ. Uh, secondly, another principle that's, that's like that is that um, the churches where I see people financially get invested, put their money where their mouth is, what ends up happening is that the heart, the, the kingdom principle is our heart follows our finances, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what I find is, is that you can have a church that has all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, like, there, there can, you can have a big church with lots of attendance, big programs, all of that. And yet, if you want to see real transformation happen, you want to see people flourishing in their relationship with Christ. When a church... When you look at the budget of the church or you look at the income of the church and you look at the people represented and you start to look at that ratio and you're like, man, people are really giving. Across the board, that is the places where you also see that that community of people are flourishing, where they are just thriving because they've invested not just by talk, but they've invested what their treasure into Christ and into this community. And as they've done that, it's guided their heart to be more connected with the Lord and more connected with each other. And so those have been experiences that I've seen out and about. I don't know what the culture of honor or what the culture of financial investment is for Parker Ford right now. That's not my job anymore. That's not what I'm looking at. So I don't really know. All all I know is that... um, I want to encourage you that those are kingdom principles that I see functioning all around the kingdom right now. And so I would encourage you to think in in those terms. And in mutual honor for one another, a reminder, we were here last week, part of Love Feast. Really cool to do Sunday morning Love Feast. That That was a lot of fun. And if you were a part of that and you washed someone's feet, remember what the commitment was was to pray for the person whose feet you were washing. So I just want to want to remind you of that. Think about that and, and write that down. All right, with that said, um, we're going to get into the scripture. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. But before we get there, we're going to have a word of prayer. So Father, this word that you've given to us, we realize it's our nourishment. It's our food. You say uh, that, uh, Jesus, your food is to do the will of your Father and that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You teach us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. So we just hold these scriptures in front of you, recognizing that they're nourishment for our spirits and our souls. And we invite you now, God, to take from what you've already written in the scriptures and breathe 
breathe life into our spirits today through them, understanding that this word is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, and it can penetrate into the very fiber of our being. So we invite you, we all just open ourselves up right now, God, and we ask that you would speak through this sinner that I am, and you would just allow us, God, to receive nourishment from your word, and that you would allow us to be fed by you so that we can be led by you, so that we can honor you and serve you most effectively in the name of Jesus. We also pray in this context for our pastor, DJ. We just bless him in the name of Jesus. We thank you for him in the name of Jesus, God, and we honor him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Um, do you have people stand for scripture? All right, let's stand in honor of the word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him at Azadus, and, he pa- and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Blessed be God's word. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I have, um, in our home, as you know, we have boys in the house. And so a regular question, natural regular question in our home throughout the years has been, if we could have any superpower, which one would it be? And, you know, is it x-ray vision? Is it like, you know, Hulk strength? Is it Superman flight? What is it? You know, and we all have our opinions about that. Um, usually that's a conversation among the guys in our house. But I know for a fact what Jen's 
superpower would be if she got to choose. It would be teleportation. I have no doubt about it because, I don't know, there's this moment each night when the boys go to bed. It's the one time of the day where Jen and I get time alone together, you know, and so we hang out, process the day. If it's nice outside, we might sit outside and hang out, or or if it's the middle of the winter, we might be inside. And then there's this moment when it's time to go to bed, and and there's this repeated phrase that I've heard over the last 20 years, man, I wish I could just be teleported to bed. You know, she doesn't, the, the, like, in between, when we, like, finally relaxed for the night or whatever, and then get into bed, she just wants to be teleported, and that would be her superpower. You know, Philip gets teleported in this scripture. I mean, think about this for a second. The guy goes into the waters of baptism, comes up, and gone. This is a real story. It's not, it, it's not a legend. You know, this, is a, this really happened. I mean, if I was sitting here talking to you right now, and all of a sudden, boom, gone, you would freak out. Everybody would lose it. You'd have a heart attack, you know? Um, and, and we just wouldn't know how to process. And that's what happens in this scripture. It's absolutely crazy. So wild is that part of the scripture that we miss some of the other miraculous things that are happening. There's so much miraculous that's taking place in this story. I mean, I I don't know if you noticed, but it just so happens that on the desert road, right when the guy receives the gospel in the middle of the desert, there happens to be water right there to be baptized. I mean, like, what are the chances? Or, like, what are the chances that when this guy is sitting there reading out loud and Philip comes up and he's reading out of the Old Testament, it's like a clear, distinct messianic prophecy that the guy is reading about Jesus from the Old Testament at just the right time. What's even more amazing that we probably miss I'm sure you know the story about Gabriel showing up to Mary to let her know that she's going to have a baby or an angel showing up in a dream to Joseph to tell him that it's time to go to Egypt. You might remember the angel of the Lord showing up to Joshua and Joshua trying to figure out which side he's a good soldier or a bad soldier. You might remember the angel showing up to Peter in prison and unshackling him to set him free. But how often do you hear about the angel showing up to Philip to tell him to go to the road to Gaza? As a matter of fact, even as I'm saying that, you might be like, wait, where was that in the story? At the very beginning, it says, the angel said to Philip, he had an angelic appearance show up, and we just, right by it, don't even say, you know why? Because the angel appearance, the coincidence about what scripture was being read, the fact that the pool was there, even the teleportation, none of that's the point. None of it is the point. The supernatural stuff, The amazing stuff where, like, the spiritual breaks through into the physical. Man, how much would we love to be able to tap into that whenever we want? I mean, I always wonder, so you teleported him back, but you made him walk all the way down there. You know, why didn't you just teleport him down there? And as a matter of fact, if you're in the teleportation business, how come I've put so many miles on my car going from cohorts in Baltimore to Lancaster to Philly? Why not just teleport me around, you know? And, but God doesn't work that way because when it comes to the supernatural, the point is never for our entertainment. It's not really about our, our, our 
wow factor? You know, when it comes to the supernatural, we desire it probably most acutely for our broken hearts and for our physical healing. And while God does do that, clearly when you come page to page with the narrative of Scripture, you realize that the biggest and most amazing moments of the supernatural have very little to do with our comfort. They have very little to do with God just doing something that we want done. I don't know about you, I have stories in my mind that I think are like the coolest supernatural moments in the scripture. There's the moment where Joshua is fighting the battle that God tells him to fight, and he's like, can you stop the sun in the sky for me? (laughs) And it happens. Like, what? Did we stop moving around the sun? Did we stop? Like, what is going on? And God extends the day. Probably one of my favorite ones is the Shrek moment. You know that one where the donkey starts speaking? (laughs) She called me a noble steed. (laughs) And God brings prophetic confrontation through the mouth of a donkey. Like, that's Mr. Ed. You know, that's like, what is going on in the text when we read about a donkey being a prophet? And the the laws of nature and how God creates us to flow in the laws of nature, but then in certain moments, he just bends them. And all of a sudden, water becomes like rock so he can walk on it. Or the winds and the waves die down because the maker says, shush. My favorite one. I think this is my favorite miraculous thing in all of Scripture. This is the one that just makes my heart pound every time. Is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the soldiers come looking for Jesus. And he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And all of a sudden, this spiritual sonic boom comes out. And all the soldiers... Just go flat. It says they all fell back when Jesus owns his identity in front of them. They don't know what to do. The spiritual breaks through the physical, and it's like some ninja samurai just comes in with his cosmic powers and wipes them out. All because he says, I am he. Because he is the maker and he is God. And when he owns who he is, all of nature bows before him. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because the fact of the matter is, is what we see as boundaries, what we understand as the laws of nature are things that he has put in place for our good and for us to thrive within. But there are moments when he decides that's not necessary right now. We're going to do something different. And it changes the game. Unfortunately, we don't get to wield that power at will for our purposes. The maker chooses to take the supernatural and attach it most often to the mission of God. When we are in mission with God, when we are doing what he's asked us to do, when we're living according to the purpose, there's these random moments when all of a sudden supernatural things happen. 
We didn't even dial him up. We might not have even prayed for him. We might be praying, staying close to God and going in the mission, but then this thing happens. And that's part of what makes it so exciting, right? Is that we didn't see it coming. If supernatural things happened all the time, they wouldn't be supernatural. They'd be natural. And so what makes it exciting is in this chase when we're going with God according to the mission, going after his purposes, God, we get to see him. We get to see signs of him existing. We get to see breakthrough moments. We get to see how God just lines things up and says, yeah, we don't need to worry about that one today. Don't tell anybody, but I'm going to break a law of nature so we can get this done. And dad is like inviting us in to show just how powerful he is. If we're in the family business with him, moving with him, he's got that, he's got that ability to make it happen to make it happen. And that's what the, the supernatural is about. Now, the revealing of God through nature, through the scripture, and through the supernatural, there's things about God that we learn. And God's identity, who God is, we tend to lean into certain parts of God. You know, we know that God is a healer, and we want God to be a healer. We know that he's a comforter, and we lean into him in our hour of need. He's a shepherd, When we're confused, when we're lost, when we're in need, we hold on to him. He's a father when we're needing security. And so we, we, we love to talk about the picture of Father God. He's a savior and a redeemer when I'm broken and full of sin. And he's a friend. And he's a groom. And all of these pictures, when we think about these pictures revealed in Scripture of God, given whatever season of life I'm in, I look, at, I look at that part of who God is, and I'm like, man, I need that. I need that right now. I need the healer part of God. But here's the thing that I think is super important about this text. Before God is ever a healer or a comforter, a guide, a friend, a, a groom, a father, before any of those images, before any of those descriptors, There is one fundamental, foundational picture that we must understand about him. You know what that is? He's God. He may be God the Father, God the Healer, God the Friend, but he's God. And see, sometimes we're tempted to see God as a friend instead of seeing him as God the Friend. Or we're tempted to see God as Father instead of God the Father. Because what happens is, is we can get so casual in our understanding of God that we bring him down to some sort of co-equal relationship. He's a little bigger, and he carries a little more weight, but it's kind of like, you know, he's another guy. We don't see him often, and so we hold him out here. And, you know, there is a picture of that. It's the mythological Greek gods. That's what they are. They're people who are bigger, who are temperamental, who live kind of in a parallel universe, who we have to appease the template of God in our minds in order to keep our lives moving forward. But that's not the picture of Yahweh. That's not the picture of who he is. See, when it comes to the God, Jehovah, who we worship, he is before all things. All things come from him. All things return to him. He is the author of all things. And he is the finisher 
of all things. That means he's the one who writes in the beginning. And it means that he's the one who gets to say, it is finished. See, he's the one who all things are held together by him. Life flows from him and only makes sense inside of him. We exist for his pleasure, for his purposes, and we are made to thrive and flourish when we stop thinking about ourselves and we start thinking about him because he is God. Why am I saying that? Because when I hunger for the supernatural in order to meet what I believe my needs are so that I can stay in the comforts of my life, I'm asking God to come down to a level and serve my purposes. What God wants for us is God wants us to be fully integrated with the life that he's designed for us. And nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, that has to do with us fitting into the laws of nature that he created us to live within. But there are moments as we pursue him in the mission for his purposes that God sees fit to break those laws of nature, to go beyond those laws of nature. And we experience the phenomenal, and that's what happened to Philip. Now, I want to give paint a little bit of a a a broader picture here so we understand in this story what is God's purpose. God's purpose, of course, is that his desire is that his people would know him and that they would take the gospel at this point and they would spread it to all the world. That's the mission that he gave to them, to spread it to all the world. And so Philip is about that mission. But here's what's happening. If you watch up till now in chapter 8 in Acts, you see prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting. They're always gathered together in prayer. And then God's shaking the rooms and doing all this stuff. But it's all this mission movement where they're like, all right, before we move forward, before we do anything else. Let's get in the room and pray and seek the Lord. And what happens is as we as the people of God seek the Lord, we kind of like mobilize the spirit of God among us. We don't, we may be asking for such and such from God, but if we're just in prayer seeking God, he's going to do all sorts of things beyond what it is that we're asking. And this is what happens to Philip. Philip didn't say, hey, God, we got to figure out how to get the gospel to Africa. Let's pray for the people of Africa that they would hear the gospel. What they're doing is they're seeking the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit shows up in the form of this angel shows up and says, go down to this road, this random road over here. You know, And that's kind of how God works. He's in charge. He's the captain. He's the king. And he's conquesting. But what he's conquesting is our hearts. And he has a way that when we get into prayer together as the church, he has a way of mobilizing his spirit to reach more and more hearts. So this is what happens. In chapter 6 of Acts, the apostles and the elders are overwhelmed. You remember last time Dave spoke, um, you spoke on the uh, putting the deacons in place, right? Yeah, okay, so... The reason the deacons got put in place was this. is because they were completely overwhelmed. There was 3,000 people on the first day. Their church had 3,000 people. Um, And after that, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. It was an organizational nightmare. You know, Um, who knows how to deal with all of that. And they got to stay grounded and keep focused on the word of God in prayer. And so what they do is they call out other leaders, these deacons, and they put them in place. 
That's in Acts chapter 6. Because they're like, if this is going to keep growing, we need to know how to expand with it. God called us to multiply. He told us we're going to be making disciples. So we better figure out how to organize in order to do that. And, and so they, they call out these deacons. Do you remember who the first two deacons are? The first deacon is a guy named Stephen. And the second deacon is a guy named Philip. What's amazing is, as soon as those deacons are put in place, the next story is of the first deacon, Stephen, doing what? What's he getting in trouble for? Preaching. I thought his job was to wait on tables. I thought he was waiting on tables so the elders could be preaching the word and dealing with the word in prayer. Well, what happens is, is as soon as he gets anointed with God's power for this purpose, for this step in front of him, when you take one step to obey God, you have no idea what you're stepping into. All you know is the anointing of God in your life just went up because you just stepped more fully into God's plan for your life, and that gave God the ability to move more fully in your life. So whatever's in front of you right now, step into it. And you have no idea what's actually on the other side. But step into it. And when you do, the next thing that happens, Stephen preaches the gospel. He gets martyred at the feet of Paul, who's already causing the spread of the gospel, even though he's anti-God at this point. Paul can't help but spread the gospel because he starts this persecution in Jerusalem, which spreads the church all over the place, and the gospel goes out. Paul's fault. God's fault. That's the first deacon who's supposed to be supporting the elders and the apostles. And that deacon gets killed. Next in line is Philip. Philip, the next story, is about Philip. And you heard about that last week probably from DJ. about He, go, he goes to the Samaritans and he preaches the gospel to the Samaritans. And that's where there's the whole thing where then he brings in the apostles. They lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. Again, this picture of Philip is phenomenal because as God anointed them and people recognized their leadership and said, hey, we're calling you out, now all of a sudden God takes that plan, the human plan they had, and he changes it because Philip's not in Jerusalem helping out the apostles. He's in Samaria and he's all over the place as an evangelist, as so much so that he's called now Philip the evangelist, not Philip the deacon. That's what's going on in the scripture. The purposes that God has is the purpose that he gave to them before he ascended on high. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait, and you will receive power from on high. And when you do, you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem. They were there. Things were working. In Judea, it was kind of working. And then in Samaria happened after the persecution, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, like Ethiopia. And so what's happening is that God is fulfilling his initial purposes, which is to take this truth of the gospel and spread it out. What I want to share is that before Peter receives the vision about Cornelius, and before Peter understands, like, they get, Peter gets this vision, and you'll hear about this, it's coming up, uh, that goes to the Gentiles. It's about the gospel going to the Gentiles. But before that, there's this picture with the Ethiopian. Okay? And... It's not an apostle who shares the gospel. It's not an apostle who goes out there on the front edge of the mission. It's Philip. Because this whole story of Acts, the reason I'm sure that you called the series Acts of the Holy Spirit, many commentators think that Acts was named wrong as Acts of the Apostles. It's actually Acts of the Holy Spirit. The, the reason this is important 
is that this book, this story, the whole thing, it is not about phenomenal people with superpowers. It's about a phenomenal God and a phenomenal gospel. And that the power of the gospel is something they're not ashamed of. It's, you know, it says, we are not ashamed of the power, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when we hold on to the truth of the gospel, that God loves people and laid his life down for them, and we make it our life's mission to be with God in the proclamation of the gospel, we've just put ourselves into the supernatural flow of the Holy Spirit, and we can be nobodies with no talent, and it doesn't matter because we got an almighty God, and we're right up in his family business doing his work, and he will unleash all of heaven in order to help us at our job. And that's our job, is to be a part of that commission with him. We've said for many years, this sign right here, that we are a people following Christ up, in, and out. Up toward God, in toward one another, and out toward the world. You know, we are made with spirit, soul, and body, and you know it's all interconnected, and, and we carry stress in our body, but that's resolved more in our spirit. And when our bodies are super unhealthy, it makes it difficult for us to have a great relationship with the Lord because the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the integration of our whole personhood in front of God is very similar to following the way we follow Christ. You have a personal relationship with God where you have spiritual disciplines where you're going after God. Great. So did Philip. He was able to communicate cover to cover with the scriptures to this guy. In toward one another, the church was sitting there praying all the time, but out toward the world. And this is what I want to remind us of today. You want to go to the next place in your relationship with the Lord? Step into the mission that he's called you to. For me, personally, I can measure my spiritual life throughout the years of my life through stages where I felt wildly uncomfortable stepping into a mission, and I did, sometimes, and when I did, I met God in a whole new way. And what's happening in this is Philip is tuned in, he's listening to the Lord, he's staying connected, and the Lord is able to speak to him And he's able to hear it, and he's able to take a step. And he doesn't know what it is. He's just supposed to go to some random road. And he starts walking down the road, and here is an Ethiopian who also was doing what he knew how to do. He had gone on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And he goes to worship this God. But, you know, God didn't dwell in that temple anymore. God dwelt in the new temple of the church. The Ethiopian didn't know, but he was pursuing what he knew. And on his way back from the temple, he was reading what he knew how to read, the scripture. What's amazing is he was reading it out loud. Do you catch that? Philip heard what he was reading. If you ever have a hard time reading the scriptures, I just want to encourage you to read it out loud. It's a game changer. If you're like sitting down reading the scriptures, you're falling asleep and not understanding it, just get up, walk around, and read it out loud. It's a game changer. So he's reading it out loud, and Philip shows up. And so you have one guy who's pursuing God and another guy who's pursuing God the best they know how. They get brought together, and then God takes it to the next level. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. Of course, the point was about not only 
that the gospel would go forward so that this unit could hear the gospel, but that every tribe, tongue, and nation is able to be unified inside of Christ. And that's what this was about. As God is trying to reach Africa, he's trying to bring people from all places into the gospel, and Philip was the messenger. And he was the one who was able to to be a harvester in this moment. You remember, those of you who have been here for a while, you might remember the, the vision of the Firefly Army. Where <clears throat> here we are in a, in a dark world where it's very easy to feel alone and isolated. But there's a city on a hill, a church with a lamp, a home with a hearth. There's a warmth that draws us like moths to the flame into the very living presence of God. And as we are there, we are regenerated. We have pursued God, and he has found us. He has pursued us. The way that Philip was a messenger of God to pursue the Ethiopian, God has pursued us, and he has found us, and he has brought us into his home, and he has regenerated us by his love. And from that place, he calls us then to not just stay home, but to go. All of us, like fireflies, into the world to carry the gospel, to be the messengers who again invite others to come back to the hearth, to come back to the fireplace, to come back to the lamp, to be in the presence so that they can go. And that's the rhythm. Like spirit, soul, and body are connected up, in, and out. We pursue God in mission. We pursue him in disciplines. We pursue him in community. And if we neglect the mission side of it, it will be to our detriment. We don't go out and share the gospel in order to prove to God that we're good Christians. But if we stand back from the mission, we are standing back as Jesus is moving forward. Jesus is saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If I stay in my comfort, I don't get to experience life with Jesus. All right, so here's the application. Two things. Um, If we're going to be experiencing the flow of God, one is we got to stay in contact and we got to not drink the water. What do I mean by that? If we're going to be in flow with the Lord, then we have to be consistently tending to God. Philip was able to hear from God because he was in a place where he was tending to his relationship with God. The Ethiopian, he didn't even have a living dynamic relationship with God yet, but he was doing what he knew to do. Stay connected. The most exciting part of pursuing God is those moments when his spiritual wisdom does stuff that we don't even understand. And he calls us to do something, we don't know what he's calling us to do, and then it just happens, you know? But don't drink the water. And what I mean by this is, you know, we've done a lot of traveling overseas. When you go to Congo, don't drink the water. And when you go overseas, you understand, I don't live here. This isn't my home, and my stomach's not used to that water. And if I start drinking that water, it's going to sideline me. When Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel went to Babylon, they knew it was going to be home for them. But they decided when the king's food was put in front of them and all the plush luxuries, they were like, we're not going to drink the water. We don't want to get indoctrinated with the pleasures of this world because we're not from this world. The kingdom that we belong to, its foundations are in heaven. It's not built by men, it's built by God. And we don't want to get too comfortable here. The whole picture of the early church 
is a picture of a people who aren't working to get God to give them things so that they can be comfortable. It's them giving their life to God so that they can find themselves in the purposes of the creator. And so don't drink the water. Be slow to drink the water of culture. It can anesthetize us. It can slow us. It can warp us. It can get us to a place where we lose sight of why we exist. We exist for God's purposes. So that's the one thing. Here's the second thing. There's two things. Okay. Stay in contact and don't drink the water. But secondly, stay on mission and don't be afraid. Stay on mission and don't be afraid. Um, You guys know Janice Watkins. She's the missionary in El Salvador that we work with on a consistent basis. If anybody's Facebook friends with her, Jen showed me her Facebook post this morning. She said, today we celebrate 10 years of being in El Salvador. It blows my mind that it's 10 years. You know why? Because she has lived about 150 lifetimes in that 10 years. If you hear the stories of what's happened with her in El Salvador, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And it happens like almost every day that something phenomenal happens because this woman went down on a missions trip to El Salvador, and while she was there, God said, this is your new home. And she said, what? And she just moved to El Salvador. And while she was there, God just boom, boom, boom. Each one of us has a place that we live, work, eat, breathe. And in that place, God is calling us to be on mission and to stay on it. And to the extent that we keep our identity as citizens of heaven who are ambassadors for Christ, to the extent that we stay in that flow, we will experience our father, our comforter, our guide, our friend, our healer, our king, all of those aspects of God we will experience. But we will experience them as we submit to him as God and live our lives for him. And when we do, that leads us to this last thing. Keep in the mission and don't be afraid. Probably one of my favorite pictures of someone not being afraid is in Samuel when it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. One of my favorite part about that verse is, it says, David said to the Philistine, Not David said to Hulk, or David said to the giant, or David said to Goliath. It was like David said to that Philistine. He's just another Philistine. Whatever stands in front of you for the mission of God, that person who you need to share the gospel with, that person who you need to invite to church, that relationship that needs to be reconciled for the glory of God, that note that you need to write to a person to get out to him, whatever it is, there's something in between you and there, and the devil wants to make it look like it's a really big deal, but it's just another Philistine, and it will fall as you go after God's purposes for your life. And I just believe that every person in this room is about ready to experience more and more of the power of God's purposes in your life as you take seriously the fact that you are not your own, you are bought with a price, and you are a kingdom ambassador for God, and you got everything you need by the grace and the power of God to engage the mission he's given you. He might tell teleport you. He might open the Red Seas for you, or you just might see that person who you deeply love give their heart to Jesus. And man, wouldn't that be awesome? Let's pray.
We want to together claim our identity as your church from the very beginning, before we were a New Testament church, all the way back, we sing the song, Father Abraham. <laughs> we, we teach our kids, Father Abraham. And we remember that from the very beginning of the calling out of the people of God, you called a man to leave his town and to just go. And you would show him something. We are Bedouins. We are strangers and aliens. Our citizenship is not American first. Our citizenship is not on earth. God, we belong to you. We are bought with a price. We are part of the kingdom of God. And we want to see your kingdom advance in our neighbors and in our friends and in our family. Because we know that you are a good God and we want everyone to meet you. We know that you are a reconciler and there are relationships that need you. There are nations that need you. So God, I ask for your anointing and your blessing for each person in this room to fully receive our identity as Bedouins here, as travelers, as sojourners. God, protect us. Lead us not into temptation. We don't want to see our physical homes as our resting place. We don't want to get stuck in our comforts, God. We don't want to just ask you to give us health so that we can be healthy. We want to be healthy so we can serve you, God. We want to be whole inside and out, all around, and we want to be healers for others. And if that, like Stephen, leads us to ultimately losing our life... (laughs) For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God, we look to you. We thank you for the invitation to be a part of a greater family, an eternal family, a full purpose. Thank you, God. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.